0: So get Micah chapter 1 and Zechariah chapter 2. Micah and Zechariah. So I know that these are the parts of the Bible for some of you that the pages are still stuck together. But uh, we're going to be looking at this. And I was just doing some personal Bible reading this week. And this passage in Micah, it just jumped out at me as the perfect passage for us to notice at the beginning of this new year. Um, I hope you'll pray for me. I fly out this afternoon. I'm going to Seattle, Washington, then at a meeting in Tacoma on Monday and Tuesday. Then Wednesday through the following Friday, for about 10 days, I'm just going to be studying and praying and preparing for the year. And uh, someone has provided me a cabin out there for free, and so I'm going to be taking some time to just study and prepare. pray for Laura that she doesn't have too much fun here while I'm gone. Um, next Sunday, or this coming Wednesday night, I believe uh, Jeff Bradshaw is going to have the Bible study. Next Sunday morning, Justin Yo is preaching. Sunday night, uh, Paul, what's his last name, Schrader, is going to be preaching. Then the following Wednesday night, Ty is bringing the young people into the, the Wednesday night Bible study. And that's always a great time. So be in your place. And I'm very thankful that God has raised up men at Grace Baptist Church that can teach his word. Amen. Oh, tonight. I forgot about tonight. We have a special guest speaker. We have flown in from Florida. His name's Aiden Aidan Kennedy. He's going to be preaching for us tonight. So come support this young preacher. Be here for him at 5 o'clock tonight. Micah chapter 1. Micah chapter 1. And let's look at verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah the Morishtite in the days of Jotham Ahaz, And Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord, from his holy temple. And let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord, from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth." And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Now, this passage of Scripture, it's a fascinating view of who God is and what he is going to do. And as we're at the the beginning of this new year, I thought it'd be good for us to just take a minute and understand who God is, what he expects of us, and what he is coming to do. We need to reset our priorities. You know, people make New Year's resolutions, they're probably already broken because it's been eight days now, right? They they make all these things, and that's great. I I love having goals, and I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight. Laura's cooking was too good over the holidays, and I like to be able to button my suit coat, and that's been a problem recently. And so we all have goals that we want to have, but what is our goal spiritually? What does God want us to do? Who is the God that we worship? And I know there's been a lot of uh, hullabaloo over the politics of the house and all of those things that have been going on. And we can get wrapped up in those things and so distracted from what God has called us to do. I want us to see what he is saying to Judah, what he's saying to Israel and Samaria in this text and what he is planning to do what that me- and what that means to us. So there are some things I want you to notice from this text. The first thing I want you to notice is the method of revelation. How did God reveal this message to Micah. Look at chapter 1. Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah, look at the end of the verse, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Go back two books. I'm sorry, go ahead two books. Go from Micah to Nahum to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. You see that? Have you ever wondered how these men wrote these vivid things? They saw them. They saw them. So back to Micah chapter 1. So the word of the Lord which he saw concerning Samaria, Samaria and Jerusalem. The word of the Lord, which he saw. He did, not, he did not simply receive a message to deliver. Sometimes God will tell a prophet, say this to my people. When you go, speak this, speak this. In our discipleship training, one of the things that we do, our, our verse, our, our, the, the key verse for our training is, I would that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. So often when you are being discipled, your discipler will have their lesson and they'll get to a point and they'll read something on that that I have had them say. Why? So that we can all be speaking the same thing. That's what Paul wanted for the local church is for us to all speak The same thing. And so often, what God did was he gave a prophet, a message, go and speak to my people and say this. That's not what this is. He actually showed Micah what was going to come. He could see it. He did not simply have words come to mind and then write them down. Micah saw and somehow experienced What was to come for Judah and Samaria? And we're going to see what that did in him. Because you all know that when you see something, it's just different. I remember I was about 19 years old. I was working a third shift job. My mother, I was at home during the day. My mother asked me to drive her to the grocery store. So we were driving to the store and we came up to a a train track and it was the kind of tracks that go up like this. And there were no gates or anything. And there was a car that had pulled out in front of me, and it had stopped. And this big garbage truck that had, you know, like the semi-truck on the front and the big garbage truck on the back tried to beat the train and didn't. And I can still see it. It's like it happened in slow motion. The train hit the back of the truck and carried the garbage truck part down the tracks. And the semi came, and the car in front of me was one of those old K cars that, that kind of went like this. And the truck came and drove right over the top of the car that was in front of me. And because we have children in the room, I'm not going to describe what I saw. But when we, my mom and I got out, we tried to go out and help. When I looked into that car, I couldn't believe what I saw. It, and from that time on, I never watched another horror movie. I won't watch them. Wasn't funny anymore. Wasn't interesting anymore. It changed me. That night, again, I worked third shift, so that afternoon I went home and I closed my eyes to try to go to sleep, and all I could see was the accident and what was going on in that car, what had happened to the people in that car. You see, hearing about accidents and even seeing something maybe in a movie or on television, it's completely different than when it's in front of you. Some of our soldiers could tell you that when you are in battle, it's nothing like what you watch on television. When you are in a firefight, when you are when you're scared for your life, and you have your friends being hurt around you, that, that's completely different than watching a movie. And somehow, God took Micah into the future to see what was going to happen with his own eyes, and that affected him deeply. So notice first the the method of revelation; he saw it. But the second thing that I want you to see sometimes when we think of these. These minor prophets, now they're called minor prophets not because the message is unimportant, but because they're shorter. The major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they're longer books of the Bible. These are shorter books of the Bible, so they're called the minor prophets because of the size. But sometimes when we see these, we know that they're prophecies for Israel. We know that they're prophecies either against Israel's sin or against the people that have come against Israel. But sometimes the audience is intended to be greater than that. Now let's look at the text, verse 2 hear all ye people. Oh, all the people of Israel? Hearken, O earth and all that therein is. So this audience, I want you to notice the audience. It is not only Israel. It's not only Judah. It's not only Samaria. It's not only Jerusalem, but it's the whole world. And that includes us. God wants the whole world to hear this message that he had Micah to see. So notice the method of revelation and Notice the audience. This message goes far beyond the borders of Israel and far beyond the people of Israel. The, se- the third thing that I want you to notice is I want you to notice the terror. Look at what it says in verse 4. And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. Now, I have on television seen a volcano. How many of you have seen a volcano on television? How many of you have actually seen a live volcano actually with the lava moving in front of you? You guys have gotten to see that. Did you go and do firewalking? No, no, you didn't do that. How many of you would not want to step on molten, molten lava? What? Some of the rest of you didn't raise your hand, so just wait. Imagine. This is not in a desolate place. This is in the middle of the cities. This is where the people are that the mountains are melting and the valleys are being split open and running like water. That's what's going to happen when Jesus Christ sets foot on the earth. That is what's coming. And remember, the prophet Micah saw this. He saw this. Can you imagine the terror? Now, I've never been through an earthquake. I've never been through a volcano. I, I've never been through any kind of cataclysmic event. I've, I've never experienced anything like that. I've not been in a, in a tsunami. I've not really ever experienced a hurricane. I've not been involved in these these horrible things that are called natural disasters. Some of you have experienced those things. I can't imagine the terror in that moment. Can you imagine being out on the sea when, when some kind of tsunami hits and you're caught by that wave? I, I just can't imagine what would that, What that would be like, or to be on the shore and to see a mountain of water coming at you, like happened in Beirut a year or two ago when that ship exploded, and the whole the whole portion of the city was just leveled in a second. Can you imagine seeing that and being around that that 's what Micah was experiencing, so notice the method of revelation, and then no, that he saw it then notice the the, the audience is us. He wants to bring us into this. And notice the terror. This is like nothing ever before it. Why would God do this? Notice the reason. Verse 5. For the transgression of Jacob is all this. And for the... For, so for the transgression of Jacob is all this. Why is this happening? Because of the transgression of Jacob. And for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Now, now, I want you to think about something. This is going to happen to the whole world because of the sin of Israel. Why? Because Israel, God chose Israel. The smallest of nations, the most insignificant of people. As a matter of fact, it started with one, Abraham. And he grew them into a great nation. And though they were small, they were, though they were they were they were humble, what God did was he made them the apple of his eye. That's what it says in the book of Zechariah. They were the apple of his eye, and God had set them up as a city on a hill. God had given Solomon the, the, the greatest wealth in the history of the world. He gave him more wisdom than any person has ever had. And the nations couldn't believe what God was doing. Until Wakanda. No, that's no, something that's completely different. And people would gather to that place. And, sorry Andy, it just it was just there. They'd gather to it and they'd say, look at the the greatness. Look at the wisdom of God. And so when Jesus Christ came, now they were a conquered people. The times of the Gentiles had begun. Israel, from early on until today, it is still under the rule of Gentiles. You say, I thought Israel was a nation. Israel could not be a nation on its own. It has to have the protection of other nations. So why would God judge the world based on what Israel did? Because God intended for Israel to be a picture of God's grace, his power, his mercy, demonstrating who the king is that that, uh, Mackenzie was just singing about. And they didn't do it. Understand, folks, that people that Christianity does not reach When we do not reach into these nations and lead people to Christ and establish churches that affect the government, that these are the nations that Jesus Christ is coming back to judge. So God's plan was to work through the nation of Israel. He came unto his own and his own received him not. When they didn't receive him, God turned his attention to the Gentiles. He's not finished with Israel. Blindness in part has happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be brought in. And then he's going to turn his attention back to Israel. The way that we know that that happens is the rapture takes place and every saved person is taken out of here. And then he's going to, what is he going to do? He's going to intend to reach as many people as he can through the Jews. There'll be 144,000 Jewish witnesses that encompass the globe preaching. Why? Because God is full of mercy, he's full of grace. But he is also full of righteousness and holiness. God is going to judge the world based on whether they have acknowledged him as Lord or not. He's either your king or he is not. And that is why he is coming. Why is he judging Israel in this text? Now, in the book of Micah, we have that principle of dual fulfillment. There's going to be an immediate fulfillment where they are overthrown, an immediate judgment because of their idolatry. But there's also an ultimate judgment where all of these things are literally fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns in the kingdom. Now, I want you to see the reason for this. I'm going to read to you. If you want to turn to it, you can. It's 1 Kings twelve and verse 28, but I'm going to read it to you. First Kings twelve, twenty-eight. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and on and said unto them, Is it too much for you to go up to Jerusalem? Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now, how many of you know what happened with the golden calf when Moses was up getting the law? And the people talked Aaron into making a golden calf. Did that go well for them? Moses had them grind it up and drink it. Yeah. It was not a good thing. And yet, here's the king. He's saying, here are your gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Not only one, but he made two of them and set them up and told the people to worship that. So now... Listen to what the verse says. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. Not Dan knew. Even unto Dan. That's what they did. And so now the people began to worship idols, and they, they raised up high places. What are the high places? You can go to Israel today, and you can see a Canaanite high place. They find a high spot, and then they build an altar that's even higher, and they worship false gods, gods that are not true gods. Why would you worship a false god when the one true god is available? It doesn't make any sense, and of course it doesn't make any sense to God. And so what is their transgression? Transgression. It's idolatry in chapter 1 and chapter 5 of Micah. It's a violation of private property. They're stealing people's property. How many of you know that God loves private property? God is not a socialist. And just like in our country, stealing private property in chapter 2 and verse 2, there's another false prophecy. You know that, that our nation is full of false prophets? False prophecy. That's what he, that's what he indicts them for in chapter 2 and verse 11. And then cruelty. I've already mentioned our military. The Bible says that God gives government the sword as a minister of righteousness against the evildoers. So we need to make sure that whatever power we have as a nation, that it's not used in cruelty. It doesn't matter what other nations do. We should be different. Amen. You only do that if you're a holy and a godly people. Israel, they were being cruel, and that's identified in chapter 3. And then injustice, that's chapter 3 and verse 9. Do you know that there are people that were at the protest on January 6, two years ago, they're still in jail for trespassing. They don't have their trial yet. Their conditions are horrible. That's injustice. That's the country that we live in. Go to chapter 7. Micah chapter 7. Look at this with me. Look at what the Bible says in verse 5. Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth From her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son, look at what it says dishonoreth the father. The daughter riseth up against her mother. The daughter in law against her mother in law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. What is he judging them for? They're dishonoring their parents. They're dishonoring their parents. We see, you can't watch a television show where the children obey the parents. Doesn't happen. The children are always wiser than their parents. And you'll you'll see a 15-year-old girl walking out of the house looking like a prostitute. And dad doesn't like it, but he says, I can't do anything with her. I can't do anything with her. And then I hear Christian parents saying the same thing. Disobedient to parents. Dishonoring parents. Horrible spirit. Because parents do not teach their children to obey. You understand that's one of the reasons God's destroying Israel here. This is an indictment against the United States. It's an indictment against us. Why is God doing this? Idolatry, violation of private property, false prophecy, cruelty, injustice, dishonoring of parents, and then loving money. Loving money in chapter 6. So, what have we seen? We've seen the method of revelation is unusual. The audience is the world. The the terror is beyond belief. The reason is because of these these sins, these national sins that are our national and individual sins. Look at, go back to Micah chapter 1. Look at verse 6. Therefore, I will make Samaria as an heap of the field, and as plantings of a vineyard. And I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, and all the hires thereof shall be burned with fire. And all the idols thereof will I lay desolate, for she gathered it, look at this, of the hire of an harlot. And they shall return to the hire of an harlot. So here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Their worship has become debauched. And they're hiring prostitutes and evil stuff as a part of their worship. Wickedness. You say, we would never do that. You know, our, my friend Dalton Robertson, his kids, they, they had Flat Lonesome, the very successful bluegrass singing group. Kelsey was nominated for a Dove Award for a song she wrote. So they went to the Dove Awards. And he said, you would not have believed the immorality in that place. the Just the, the over-the-top flamboyance where they're trying to look like the Grammy Awards. Where, where Christians, supposed Christians, are looking like the world. And women are hanging out intentionally of their dresses. That's... That's Christianity? No, that's sexualization. That is American Christianity. How many of you saw that Amy Grant just won the President's Award? Anybody get to see that? And people are excited that a Christian got to do that. That's great. Why? Because she had just hosted a gay wedding at her house for her niece. And then when Brandi Carlile came out as a homosexual, She went on her website and said, I'm so thankful for your courage. Amy Grant. Lecrae, the the Christian rap singer, pro-homosexual. Kirk Franklin, pro-homosexual. One of the key hard rock singing groups, Christian groups. They have an open homosexual opening for them in their act. You understand, that's Christian endorsement of immorality. Are y'all with me on this? That's Christianity. That's that's the Christian world that we live in. Now, I'm not talking about some legalistic standard where every man has to wear a tie and every woman has to wear a certain kind of clothing and every man's hair has to be off. That's, That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about some human, man-made list of behavior. We're talking about open immorality and debauchery in our churches. Remember what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea. Because you're proud, you're you're rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that there are rich and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's the world. That's the Christian world that we live in. I want you to notice, everything he's judging Israel for is the United States of America. Not only the United States of America, the Christian church is the United States of America. And I'm just telling you, you want to get a preacher in trouble, have him start talking about the way the girls are dressing. The way the young men are behaving with the girls. Folks, We are supposed to be different. So notice. Notice the method of revelation and the audience, the terror, the reason. But then one of the most striking things to me is I want you to notice the reaction of the prophet. Remember, he saw it. Look at verse 8. Therefore, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls. Why? For her wound is incurable. For it has come unto Judah. He has come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. What's he going to do? He is so overwhelmed with what he has seen that he strips his coat off and he's going to run through the city screaming and wailing and crying because it's too much. And what has he seen? He has seen God has shown him the wickedness of his people. He has seen With spiritual eyes and actual vision of the immorality of the people that bear God's name. And what does it cause him to do? To wail and howl. But not only has he seen the wickedness. He's seen what's going to happen. He has seen the devastation of the people that he loves that he is to minister to do you understand what the tribulation period is like do we need do we need a movie or or can we just just look at what god showed he had john see about what's coming folks do we wail and howl over the immorality that has overtaken our country? See, young people, you don't understand the, the world that, that the, the guy, people my age grew up in. This is a different place. It's a different place. And we have preachers that are, and Christians that are trying to be a friend of the world. That we're trying to become like them. And it's wickedness, the reaction, the reaction of the prophet. You know what had happened to him? The message had become real to him. Teenagers, is this message real to you? Do you understand the choices that you are making right now? Parents, do you understand the choices that you are making? What are you going to have your girls wear to the prom? What are you going to allow the boys to see of your daughter? What, what, as a Christian, what are you doing? What are you endorsing? What, what are we doing? There's a witness against the people. Notice the reality of the one who is a witness against them. Micah chapter 1, look at verse 2. Hear, all ye people. Hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you. Let the Lord God be witness against you. You know, there's such good news in the Bible. I write to you, brethren, that you sin not. But if any man sin... He has an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. How many of you thankful that when you sin today, that you have an advocate with the father? He's our defense attorney. Notice who the prosecution is. The prosecution is the Lord God. So he can either be your defender or your prosecutor. He's either your defender or your prosecutor. The Bible says that that God judged no man, but he's given all judgment to his son. He can be your defender or he can be your prosecutor. And here, look at the one who is the prosecutor. Hold your place here in Micah. Go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art. The Holy One of God. The Holy One of God. Isn't it interesting that the devils know who he is? Do you? He's the Holy One. Man, uh, There, I, I saw, I was watching a football game, and there was a commercial about, about how Jesus was a refugee and how Jesus would welcome everybody, and all of that, right? Yeah, Jesus was a refugee, but he, but he came back home, by the way. The, the, this, this whole idea that Jesus will accept anything that you are, anything that you do, he'll accept you, but not your sin. He's holy. He's the holy one. Let's look at how holy he is. Look at Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15. And when we get to Revelation 15, I know you've got a marker in uh, Zechariah. We're going to be there in a minute, but we're going to come back to Revelation 15. Revelation 15 and look at verse 4. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Who's going, to Who's going to fear him? Everybody, because of what he's done to the world. Everybody's going to fear him. Christians, Christians, look at me. Why don't we fear him now? Because of his love and his mercy and his grace? That's the wrong reason. We need to recognize His love, mercy, and grace because we fear Him and we understand what we actually deserve. We're going to come back to Revelation, but go back to Micah. Notice the reality of the one who's a witness against them, the only holy one. But then I want you to notice something else that happens. Notice the reality Of this witness. What does he do? So Micah chapter 1 and verse 2. Hear all ye people. Hearken O earth and all that therein is. And let the Lord God be witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. For behold the Lord cometh forth out of his place. And will come down and tread upon the high Places of the earth. The reality of the one who comes down. So again, I want you to see. Behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place. He cometh forth out of his place. And will come down. Remember, this one who's coming down out of his place. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that place in a second. But this is the holy one. That is coming down. And notice from where he comes. Notice from where he comes. Look at verse 2 again. Hear, all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord. Now, don't miss this, okay? I know it's hard to listen for a long period of time, but don't miss this. From whose holy temple? This is not the temple of Solomon not the temple of Hezekiah. This is not the rebuilt temple of the tribulation period. This is his holy temple in the heavens. It's his. The temple is his. This is why that abomination of desolation was so horrible. When Antiochus Epiphanes set up his own image in the holy of holies, the holiest of all, and that's going to happen again in the tribulation. That's going to be when they identify who the Antichrist is. He, he makes himself evident. He reveals himself as the man of sin. None of that's going to happen in God's temple. His temple is holy. He comes from his holy temple. I want you to see how significant this is. Go back one book to Jonah. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 4. Jonah's in the belly of the whale, and he cries to God. The Bible says he cried to God from hell. I believe that he had died. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward, look at the singular, thy holy temple, thy holy temple. Look at verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy Temple. There's only one. It's God's. Only one temple. It's holy. When we... I want to be like like Micah to to be able to communicate what what we're seeing in this text. I think this next passage will help you. Look at at Habakkuk. Remember, he's going to go forward two books. Habakkuk. Chapter 2. Look at verse 18. Habakkuk, remember, he saw this judgment. He saw this prophecy and God had him write it. Verse 18, what profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image and a teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Can you imagine making something and then starting to talk to it? Verse 19, woe unto him that saith to the wood, awake to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. doesn't matter how pretty you make it. It doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't matter if you put it up in your church and, and call it a, 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 an article for worship. Here's what God says. Verse 20, but the Lord... Is in his holy temple. What should the world do? Stop trying to talk to your dumb idols. Let all the earth keep silence before him. I've mentioned to you that I've heard atheists say that if there is a God. I'll spit in his face. Want to bet? I'm not going to make this statement because of any trouble that I know of at church. I don't think we have any trouble at Grace Baptist Church. So that's not the point that I'm making here. But I am saying this. We have a lot of mouthy Christians. A lot of people saying stuff about God. A lot of people don't like the Old Testament. They don't like what God did to the Canaanites. They don't like what God did when they went into the land. They're they're embarrassed by God. They're embarrassed by the book of Revelation. They're embarrassed by it. Why? Why? Because they've never really seen God. They've never really seen their sin and the sin of their people. And they've never really seen why God must bring judgment. Christians, we need to be careful about our speech. We need to be careful about what we say about God, our holy God, our King, and our coming soon Lord. The earth keeps silent. Go to Zechariah chapter 2. Here's what happens when the Lord comes. Zechariah 2 and verse 10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah his portion in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Verse 13. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord. Now notice, look it. For he is raised up out of his holy habitation. Remember, Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's seated at the right hand of God, and he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. Amen? Amen. Man, I'm so thankful for that. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. But soon, he's going to stand up. Do you know what happens when he stands up? All of the holy, holy, holy. All of the continual, booming, thunderous worship that takes place in heaven. All that's around his throne it's going to be silent because the moment of judgment has come let all the earth be silent why ezekiel chapter 48 the last verse of ezekiel ezekiel 48:35 talking about this Jerusalem. Ezekiel forty-eight thirty-five, And it was around about 18,000 me- measures. And the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is here. The Lord is here. That's the name of that city. Emmanuel God with us this time. He's coming back as Lord. Let's finish up with Revelation chapter 18. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 15. Verse 1. And I know and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Remember, he's seeing this. He's experiencing it. Seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them is filled up the wrath of God. This is the perfect seven. Number of perfection. The perfect wrath of God. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of gold. So these are people that they didn't take the mark and they didn't worship the beast and they didn't worship the number of his name. They're worshiping God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb saying, great and marvelous are thy works. Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways. Thou King of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. And for all, Nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that, I looked, and behold, look at this. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. The seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto them the seven, gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Go back to Micah. Chapter 1 and verse 2. Hear, all ye people. Hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. He's going to arise and all the earth will be silent. And he establishes Israel again. Let me read to you what Arnold Gablein wrote about this. He said, After the prophecy of the division of the land comes the majestic ending. The last message this man of God uttered, this is from... Ezekiel 48. And the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is here. It is a fitting finale to this great book. In its beginning, we see the glory of the Lord departing. Remember, Ichabod, he wrote Ichabod over the name of the temple because the glory is departed. It is fitting. In its beginning, we see the glory of the Lord departing. Throughout the pages of the book, we read of Israel's rebellion, Jerusalem's judgments, the nation's disobedience and rejection. Then follow the messages of hope, Israel's conversion, the regathering of the twelve tribes, the, the final conflict, the returning glory of the Lord. And from that day, the name of the city shall be the Lord is here. Because he has manifested his gracious presence in the midst of his people and established his throne, blessed his people with all the spiritual and national blessings promised by his holy prophets, destroyed all their enemies and covered all with his visible glory once more. Therefore... The city will have a name. The Lord is there. What a glory it will be for him. The city through which he once walked with weary feet. The son of God garbed in servant's form. The city through which he was dragged when the cross was laid upon his shoulders. The city which cast him out. The city outside of which he endured the cross and despised the shame. That same city will be made in that day the glory spot of the earth. So what does this mean to us? Notice what the Bible says about us. 1 Corinthians 3. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. 1 Corinthians 6. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and ye ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So what's the conclusion of all of this? Let's be holy in the new year. Let's all stand. Lots of stuff going on in the world. Lots of things with the economy. Lots of things with our families. Lots of busyness. A lot of things going on. But folks, let us never lose sight of the fact That life is short. What is life? It, It appeareth but for a little time and vanisheth away. It's gone. It's gone. And it'll either be gone through death, the march of time, or through the return of Jesus Christ. Either way, we have a job to do man, I love Grace Baptist Church. I love gathering together with you. It's one of my favorite things in the world to do. I look out and I look across your faces and it makes me smile because I love you. I love our church family and the camaraderie that we have. And you can tell that camaraderie because at the end of the Sunday night, people don't go home. The end of Wednesday night, people don't go home because they enjoy being together. I love that God gives us that fellowship. Amen? But that's not the only thing he's given us. He's given us a mandate. Be ye holy as I am holy, God said. And then he sent us into the world to preach the gospel to every creature. Because if we could somehow see what Micah saw, we would wail and howl. And the Bible says, what Micah said, I will wail like the dragons. That's like the demons, the way the demons scream in agony. That's the way that Micah was screaming and howling. Because he actually could see what the sin was. And he could see what God was going to do. Folks, God has spared us that. Are are you thankful that you don't see the sin of your neighbor? You don't have to experience how wicked that is. But God's told us and what the judgment will be. Folks, in the new year, let's make sure Grace Baptist Church is a holy people. That we worship, that the God that we worship, the God that we fear, the King who is mercy and love and grace and who died on the cross for us, He is the one true and holy God who will soon arise from His seat and all the earth will be silent before Him. That's the one who's coming back. Never, ever forget that. Amen? And I'll finish with this. How many of you are born again? You know Christ as your Savior? He's on your side. He's for you. That's the one that we worship.